This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Heads up to listeners, this episode includes mentions of sex and sex work and also contains some vulgar language. Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. I have been waiting for this weekend for months. My tickets are bought. I've laid out my pink outfit and I'm ready to see the Barbie movie. Hey, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. And Barbie is coming at just the right time. Her brand of hyper-feminine fun has been on the rise for the past few years, especially among some young femmes who call themselves bimbos. Hi, welcome to Bimbo TikTok. I'm so glad you could finally make it. TikTokers like Chrissy Chopeka, who you just heard, and Nikita Redcar are exploring what it means to be a bimbo through their online personas. But they aren't just embracing the no-thoughts-pretty-girl stereotype. They're adding an extra layer to what being a bimbo means. The new bimbo is often a socially aware, anti-capitalist leftist. Girlies, we all want to eat the rich, but what if I told you we already had them on the menu? While I haven't seen the Barbie movie yet, and I don't know her political views, both Barbie and real-life bimbos are hyper-feminine, and they get criticized for being bad role models. But what's actually so bad about carefree, maximalist femininity? We've got bimbos, Barbies, and the benefits of being over the top. And later, a bit of Barbie trivia. Coming up. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Before we get to what the bimbo means now, we have to understand where she came from. And surprisingly, the word bimbo originally referred to men. Apparently it came from the Italian word bambino, which means baby. And it was used as a kind of pejorative for men. That's Hannah McCann, a lecturer at the University of Melbourne 
who specializes in critical femininity studies. She said that the heyday of the male bimbo came to a close in the 1920s, when the phrase flipped genders in songs like My Little Bimbo Down on the Bamboo Isle. We start to see this just intensifying use of the word bimbo to describe women and particularly curvy, sexually promiscuous, airhead, stereotyped women, often blonde. And it stayed that way for almost 100 years till we got to the 2020s. And now the bimbo is being remade again, mostly thanks to TikTok. You'll see on Bimbo Talk on TikTok that the people that are part of that are saying, yeah, I'm stupid. I've got nothing in my head. I, I'm a slut. And unlike the original stereotype that's really associated with cisgender, white, blonde women, mm-hmm. what you see on Bimbo Talk are people who are queer, all different mm. kind of races and ethnicities. Anyone can be a bimba. The girlies, gays, theys, our trans icons and icons and everyone in between. People who are identifying really explicitly as left-wing and Marxist often. A bimbo isn't dumb. I mean, she kind of is, but she isn't that dumb. She's actually a radical leftist who's pro-sex work, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-LGBTQ, pro-choice. For young people of all genders who identify as bimbos, being a bimbo recently also means being extremely political and leftist. What is smart or what could be smart about having a quote unquote, no thoughts, head empty approach to social critique? Like, how does that work? Mm. It's about not having to engage with people who are demanding that you prove yourself, demanding Mm. that you can intellectually keep up with them or compete with them. Bimbofication is an ego death. When you say goodbye to your ego, you don't have to defend yourself. You just are. Let people underestimate you. And that is explicitly why it's so jarring to patriarchal frameworks that insist you prove yourself and keep up in a way that is perfect and up to certain standards and Mm. that you speak in a certain way, that you look a certain way, you know, that idea. In order to be heard and to have your ideas be valid. Yeah. One of the things we've been thinking about in preparing to talk to you is like how a bimbo feminism is like a part of a longer chain of different feminism styles Mm. or aesthetics that have come out in the past few decades like girl power, which I survived, and girl bossery, which I also barely survived. But I wonder, what's new about bimbo feminism? Like, what needs does it address, and why is it popular now? It's really good that you brought up girl boss feminism because bimbo aesthetics and bimbo articulations are explicitly also a reaction to girl boss feminism, because mm, say more about that because b- 
being able to say I've got nothing in my head and I, I'm not going to prove myself within this particular patriarchal structure is such a rejection of girl boss feminism, which is about leaning in and trying to keep up with the boys and mm. dressing a certain way, power dressing, wearing the pantsuits and so on being in line with capitalism and getting to the top of it and being an entrepreneur and all those things. Whereas bimbos are in embracing that aesthetic that is associated with kind of working class or lower class and often like white trash stereotype. Also aesthetics commonly associated with sex workers, having, you know, hair extensions, tight clothing, super tall platform heels, the more I think about what it means to be a bimbo or what a bimbo looks like is where race plays into that as well. Because the thing I, I just keep thinking about over and over again is I'm like, well, where would I fit in? And I identify with a part of the bimbo aesthetic that you're talking about. Like, I'm here to have a good time and preserve my energy for the things that actually need me, that need my attention, and that I actually care about. I'm not here to prove myself to people who already don't see my value. But I don't know if I'd feel comfortable calling myself a bimbo because of the assumptions that are already out there about Black women's intelligence. Where does the bimbo aesthetic exist outside of whiteness? I think that's such an important question. Before this rise of bimbo talk, which is trying to articulate a bimbo that isn't necessarily white or cisgender or a woman, Mm -hmm. every stereotypical representation that we have of the bimbo is white and blonde. And even if we look at something like the Barbie movie, I mean, there's obviously Barbies of all different races in the film, but the main Barbie's white. And, you know, the most kind of famous bimbo talk stars are also white. So even though, you know, there is this strong sense of wanting to reject that and also to support movements like Black Lives Matter, I think it's so fair enough if you feel like this doesn't um, speak to you. (laughs) I have seen self-professed bimbos of different racial backgrounds. It'll be interesting to see how these conversations continue to develop. But going back to a very famous bimbo that you mentioned earlier, our OG bimbo, Miss Barbie, is coming back. In the same way that bimbos could be simultaneously read as feminist and anti-feminist, Barbie has been read as both of those two. And also because Barbie's movie is coming out, I am seeing people fight every day online (laughs) about what she represents. What makes Barbie such a fraught icon of femininity? She's a fraught icon because even though in recent decades, Barbie has diversified in terms of body types and presentations and abilities and ethnicities, She, for the most part, has been blonde, she's white, she's skinny, she's kind of normatively beautiful and adhering to kind of particular beauty standards. And so she's fraught because she's seen to represent a model to which little girls should aspire, which is narrow. But on the other hand, you know, there is this idea that Barbie has been every occupation and she can do anything. And so there's this, (laughs) there's a kind of like feminist critique of Barbie as representing patriarchal femininity. And then there's a feminist defense of Barbie as representing a girl boss feminism. Mm. I hate both of those really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that 
if we want to look at what Barbie means, she's not just this floating signifier that tells us how to look. It's about how people play with Barbie. And there's multiple mm-hmm. Barbies that people have and Ken's. And they do all kinds of things with them. I mean, my Barbies, I had two Barbies and a Ken. Ken was gay and the Barbies were a butch and a femme Barbie. <laughs> and I cut <laughs> one of the hair off. And it was that was it. Like, they were all queer. And you can project onto Barbie. That, to me, is more interesting than just saying that she's a problematic icon or she's some fantastic icon. Barbie is, I mean, quite literally plastic. And it's so interesting to me that there's this kind of, you know, fear of like everyone's going to try and like look as unrealistic as Barbie. And then when you get women who literally try and have plastic surgery to look like Barbie, (laughs) all of the commentary is like this crazy distorted figure person who doesn't look like a human being anymore. And you're like, doesn't that tell us something interesting about like, the hyper-femininity mm. of Barbie is actually in her unnaturalness points out something about the unnaturalness of gender generally. Like it actually seems mm. kind of subversive and queer to me rather mm. than natural and unremarked upon. That is kind of interesting because it's like the idea that like all beauty is profane unless it's natural. I mean, I used to wear a strip of false eyelashes, sometimes double on each eye every time I went to a bar or club when I was in college. There was something really fun about (laughs) having all of the effort that it took to look a certain way sitting right there on my face. Mm. But if the idea is that some people are so beautiful that they don't have to draw their faces on, I could see how that would be a little bit more insidious. Like if you're born with it, it's better. Like, (laughs) Yeah. One of the things I've kind of theorized about previously is – whether there is such a thing as toxic femininity. Hmm. Like we talk about toxic masculinity. Is there a toxic femininity? And one of the kind of areas I think that promotes kind of toxic ideas about femininity is this cult of natural beauty that exists. There is this kind of bioessentialism behind it that is as if there is some good beauty and then bad beauty. And the bad beauty, of course, is associated with sex workers, with, like, lower-class, working-class women. It's associated with a bimbo. That's what's rejected. And, you know, I think so much of our attention when feminists critique beauty practices, they're actually focusing on the hyper-feminine and they're focusing Mm. less on this more insidious kind of cult of natural beauty. Speaking of the idea of hyper-femininity, going back to Barbie, Barbie is not just feminine. She's hyper-feminine, spectacularly feminine, as you say. What does that mean, spectacular femininity? Yeah, there's this really fantastic concept coming out of critical femininity studies called spectacular femininity, which is re-looking at characters who've been dismissed before. So, For example, Maya Padan's done this work on the Spice Girls and like how their aesthetic (laughs) is actually so spectacular that it, it connects with this kind of reading of them as drag. And I think that that's actually really interesting when we think about pop stars because so many drag queens actually do reference pop stars. It's an interesting kind of interaction between like what is drag and who is in drag and what do we count as kind of subversive. It's a much more um, dynamic way of understanding what's going on in that presentation rather than just saying 
oh no, they're dupes of the patriarchy too, which is unfortunately mm. <laughs> so how some of the girl power stuff got interpreted. Well, it's interesting because what it sounds like it does too is it really takes their gender performance and it actually considers it a performance. Yes. Like a Britney Spears or a Cher or a Diana Ross or a Madonna. There's a performance element in everything that they're doing. You don't come out the womb just ginger spice. There's construction. There's labor. There's work involved in becoming a Spice Girl or becoming the, you know, like the Madonna or the Diana Ross or the Janet Jackson that we see on stage. Exactly. There was a really interesting show that I analysed a few years ago out of the UK called Snog, Marry, Avoid. And they would take these women off the street who, according to the show, were wearing too much makeup and they were just like disgustingly over the top women. And not just women, but it's like people who engaged in subcultures who were like goths and other kind of oh, sure. over-the-top styles. So they would take these people, put them through this make-under process where they would like take off all their makeup and then like reapply makeup, but just like natural, nice makeup and then dress them in conservative mm. clothes. Make-under. What are you going to do to me, Pod? I'm going to turn you into a natural beauty. Okay. And the whole point of this show was like giving them a make under and like, oh, and then they'd have all these people judge them and be like, would you snog, marry or avoid this person? Like when they had makeup. I would avoid that girl. Uh, She's got too much makeup on. I can't even see her features. I can't even see the color of her eyes either. And then afterwards it would be like everyone wanted to marry them rather than avoid them because, you know, they looked so much more (laughs) acceptable. And I just thought this is so interesting that, so much feminist analysis has focused on makeover shows as like super problematic, mm-hmm. like reinforcing patriarchal standards. But when you transpose that onto a make under show, you actually see how those spectacular femininities are quite uncomfortable and like quite unnatural and disruptive for people. And it's actually there's some midpoint there of something that passes as natural and conservative. And that is what is acceptable. And that's the kind of line mm. that's trying to be enforced there. That's funny because it also feels like you said the title, the name of the show is Nog, Mary, Avoid. It's funny because the tell is kind of in the construct of the show where it's based around marriage as the ultimate goal. It's like you could be just enjoying yourself wearing six pounds of makeup on your face every day. But then it's like, well, but do you want to get married? Because <laughs> if you want to get married, you're going to need to wash your yeah. face and put on only two coats of mascara. And that's like what I think bimbo aesthetics are about too. It's like, no, it's actually so exaggerated and over the top that if you were put on Stog Mary Avoid, it would be, people would be saying they'd avoid you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so. yeah. Or even when you think about like uh, Barbie, one of the things that I have noticed in all of the Barbie promotion that has been put out there is that spectacularly feminine aesthetics of the film, the pink dream houses and the like super pink campy outfits are not necessarily appealing to men like that's not who the film is even being marketed to it's meant to appeal to people who enjoy the performance and the theatricality and the sense of fun within those spectacularly feminine aesthetics we talked earlier in our conversation about the different feminist aesthetics we know what the girl boss has wrought living in the girl boss matrix has made me personally tired 
What potential do you see coming out of bimbos and bimbo feminism? What kind of world aesthetic or era might they create? My biggest hope for bimbo feminism is that it will paradoxically mean taking femininity seriously. Hmm. So even though part of bimboism is embracing being unserious, I think my hope is that it means when we look critically at texts like Barbie, we take it more seriously as something disruptive, as something that has queer potential, that we actually start thinking about masculinities in terms of femininity as well. So Mm. we look at how something that Rhea Ashley Hoskin has theorised as well is how kind of actually everything about toxic masculinity is really just a rejection of femininity. So we start kind of actually taking Mm. that more seriously and we think about how fun femininity can be, how joyous and opening up the expressive possibilities for everyone without denigrating it or assuming that it's for a male gaze. Thank you so, so much, Hannah, for coming on the show and talking with me about this today. I learned a lot. Thank you for having me. I just love talking about bimbos. Thanks again to lecturer Hannah McCann from the University of Melbourne. Coming up, I bring on some of my NPR colleagues for a little Barbie trivia. Stick around. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. All right, in honor of the Barbie movie finally coming out this weekend, we are now going to play some Barbie trivia. And to do that, I'm joined by Aisha Harris from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Barbie. Uh, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, Freudian slip. The resemblance is too strong. It's too strong. (laughs) Um, And we are also joined by B.A. Parker from NPR's Code Switch. Hi, Parker. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) I am good. I am good. Now, you two, much like me, have probably been fed a lot of 
Barbie content lately. That's because the new Barbie movie, which allegedly had a $100 million film budget and also allegedly had a $100 million marketing budget, which I'm not going to lie, I've felt what? and seen and heard every dollar. Mm-hmm. I saw that dream house. <laughs> Look, I've, do you know how many times I've watched that Architectural Digest video of the dream house? I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know who Barbie is. But how much do we really know about the icon? I'm here to test your knowledge on all things Barbie. Are you ready? No, but sure. we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I invited y'all to come on here. Can we get some enthusiasm? <laughs> What's up? I'm ready. I'm ready, ready. You're ready? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I appreciate your commitment, Parker, to being like still tentative. Look, I had a Kenya doll. I don't know about what I'm supposed to be answering. I think I had two Barbies. <laughs> One of them was working out Barbie. I forgot I had a I had a black my size Barbie. My bad. What? You had a black my size Barbie? That's the one, the only one that I wanted was a black my size Barbie. Jealous. I was a child of divorce, and my grandpa was like, help the child out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am really glad to have some of your Barbie knowledge or lack of Barbie knowledge in mind before we start this game. So this is a multiple choice game, okay? And you both have to pick an answer. And yes, there will be a winner at the end. So buckle up. Okay. 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 All right. Number one, you never ask a woman her age. But fortunately for us, Miss Barbara Millicent Roberts, aka Barbie, yes, Barbie is her nickname, is a world famous icon. So all we had to do was a little Googling. So how old is Barbie turning this year? A, 55. B, 64. C, 71. Or D, 82. I don't know how to do math. Wait, I think I know this one because I saw her birthday on TV last week. B64. Ooh, what say you, Aisha Harris? I feel like it was 55. Uh, you can use scratch paper if you want to do <laughs> some quick math calculations. Math is not my thing. I could have... That's all right. Um, I'm going to go with 71. So, Parker, you say B, 64, and Aisha is saying C, 71. The correct answer is B, 64. Oh. Yes, 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 yes! I saw on TV last week, it said March 9th, 1959. Parker, I mean, you literally got her birthday exactly right. This is not because I care. It's because I've been inundated with Barbie. <laughs> it's that $100 million is working on you. It's working on you. So you are absolutely right. Because Barbie's birthday is March 9th, 1959, that makes her a 64-year-old Pisces. Oh. Wow, Parker, Um, because you got Barbie's birthday absolutely right down to the date, you get a bonus point. Yes, 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 yes! What? That was the bonus question, and you Sorry. answered it before we could ask. Fine. Um, all right. Well, there's there's more opportunities, more opportunities. Okay. okay. Question number two. Barbie has had over 200 careers and in nearly every sector of the economy. However, one of these jobs Barbie has not yet done. Which of these jobs is Barbie still applying for? A, rapper. B, chief sustainability officer. C, United States senator. D. McDonald's cashier. 
Ooh. I mean, at this point, she used to be retired. <laughs> okay. I remember there being a McDonald's Barbie and me wanting it. And it came with, like, little fries. I don't even know what a chief sustainable officer is. I mean, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> I also feel like there could be a rapper. Like, a very not enlightened <laughs> earlier version of Mattel might have done a rapper. I feel like that probably happened in, like, 1993 or 94 or something. I know. It was, like, Vanilla Ice era, you know, snow, you know. <laughs> the era of the white rapper. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say, because it just seems really, really specific, uh-huh. the sus- chief sustainability. <laughs> okay. So Aisha's saying, B, chief sustainability officer. What say you, Parker? Okay. Because that seems so specific that I feel like she probably has been that. Uh huh. I don't know. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that she hasn't been a rapper, and I'm gonna go with rapper. Oh, Parker and Aisha. No! <laughs> Barbie has been a rapper, a chief sustainability officer, and a McDonald's cashier three times. She's even been an Avon representative and a matador, but she has never been a United States senator. Sorry. What? What? I'm you mean all that time we had Hillary Clinton, we didn't have a Barbie Senate at all? I guess not. I guess not. I guess not. She has been United States president. However, she has been a United States presidential candidate in 92, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, and 2016. But when is she winning? She's not winning. <laughs> She's just a candidate. She's just a candidate. She's trying to spread her message. Well, somebody, she's she's running independent, you know, third party votes. You know what I'm saying? She's running for the Barbie party. And you know, third party candidates. She's the Ralph Nader of Barbies. <laughs> I mean, she's about sustainability. She's exactly. She's about sustainability. And maybe that's why she's not, I don't know. Maybe that's why she's not winning. Maybe people are, are messing with that platform. She also was a vice presidential candidate in 2016. Wait, who was the, who was the, pre, who was the presidential? Not, who's running mate? I don't know. I like to think it's Christy, her black girlfriend, but I don't know. Yes. Wait, is Skipper still around? I have no Maybe idea. Skipper was Secretary of State. Maybe. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> like RFK? <laughs> exactly. Nepotism. <laughs> but fun fact, rapper Barbie, which did happen, which was a thing. Rapper Barbie was in fact white. Um, Aisha, very prescient on your point, on your on your part to, to see that. And she was released in 1992, which is very close to your guess of 1993, Parker. Um, but she was released in 1992 with a boombox that had batteries included. And I am shocked because I actually remember seeing this commercial and I wanted a rapper Barbie. Really, I wanted to wear her outfit. Was she supposed to be a rapper? or what? I thought she was supposed yes. to be like a break dancer. No, she was like rapping, rocking Barbie. Oh, okay. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. <laughs> now that you say oh. that, I do. I do. Interesting. Barbie had her boombox. She had a big old uh, rope chain. Barbie was, I mean, she was she was not dressed completely dissimilar from Nino Brown. Did she have bamboo earrings? <laughs> <laughs> At least two pair. <laughs> Um, okay, okay, let me show you the commercial for Rappin' Rockin' Barbie. Hit it! Here's Rappin' Rockin' Barbie. You can sing along, cause with her boombox, you can rap a song. This Barbie's cool from her head to her toes, cause she's got the most happening clothes. Yes, I do remember this. Can I say I would be dressed like that right now if I could be? Hello? That was a good outfit. Yes. <laughs> you know, another interest I will say that Barbie had was Greek life. In fact... No. I'm at my parents' house recording right now. And... Is she an AKA? Oh, my goodness. I got an AKA Barbie right here (laughs) 
an official <laughs> AKA Barbie from their centennial in 2008. It's got the official little crest on it and stuff. And it has not been unboxed. Absolutely not. My mother has this. You can, let me, I want to give you all a little box noise right there. Mm. <laughs> um, she has a very cute kind of French roll ponytail with like a swoop in the front and a really lovely like pink and green gown. That is cute. Um, it's cute. Yeah, it's pretty lie. cute. But yeah. <laughs> She's the OG Kamala? I'm not even sure I'm allowed to touch it with my uh, my uh, regular person hands. You were not wearing gloves while you were touching that. <laughs> I know. My finger oil is going to ruin the AK Barbie. <laughs> All right. On to question three. Barbie and her boyfriend Ken famously split in February 2004 after 43 years together. Two years later, Ken tried to win her back with a makeover. He started sporting board shorts and a white t-shirt, but that didn't work. It took seven years for the couple to officially get back together. Which of these things did Ken do to win Barbie back? A, he put up a bunch of billboards in New York and LA that said, Barbie, we may be plastic, but our love is real. B, he unfollowed every other doll on social media in the Barbieverse except for Barbie. C, he wrote her a song called Baby Doll, featuring lines like, you're the only doll for me, baby. Or D, he gave an exclusive interview to People Magazine where he said, I'm made of plastic, but I'm not scared of my heart melting for you, Barbie. A, B, C, or D. All, the, all of these are too much. All of these are doing too much. <laughs> this is the less interesting version of Miss Piggy and Kermit breaking up. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Brittany, aren't you glad you chose us to, to do this? <laughs> um... <clears throat> I didn't even. Are, is this like all playing out over social media accounts? I'm confused. <laughs> like, well, I mean, uh, this was something. It was reported in the press. Honestly, the fact checking for this came from CNN and CNN Money articles. So this was a real thing that happened in 2004. What was CNN doing that this made it to like the ticker tape at the bottom? <laughs> okay, right. I don't know. It's funny because I'm like, literally, 2004 is like an election year. <laughs> <laughs> like y'all were like, busy. I don't know. We were fighting for our lives. <laughs> 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 Okay. Yes. Are we? Is it billboards, social media, the song entitled "Baby Doll," or a pining interview in People Magazine? I mean, A, B, C, or D. <laughs> any of those seems possible. I'm gonna go with C, the song. You go with the song. Okay. What are you going with, Aisha? I'm torn between A and D because A would obviously get a lot of, and Times Square is like where lots of kids are. So, like, that seems like a really marketable thing for Mattel to do. But I can also see the People Magazine thing happening because it's People Magazine. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the D, People Magazine. Well, you both are not going to help Ken win Barbie back. <laughs> Sorry. What actually worked was A, putting up a bunch of billboards no! in New York and L.A. that said, Barbie, we may be plastic, but our love is real. It was the billboards. That's some Drake foolishness. <laughs> I can't deal with that. I mean, Ken is Drake. Drake is Ken. That's true. <laughs> so, okay. Right now, Parker's got two points. Aisha, you've got one. Mm-hmm. We have a bonus Wait, I have round one? right now. How do I have one? I've gotten... No, you have none. Sorry, you have zero. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, let's just make sure we get this right here. <laughs> let's do a bonus round for three points. Let's do a bonus round for, like, winner takes all. Let's just, like, raise the stakes, okay? Okay. Bonus round okay. worth three points. It was reported that during her split with Ken, Barbie got friendly with a new blonde man. Who was it? Oh, I know it. Oh, 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 oh. 
Well, hold on, hold on. A, Jacques, the French painter. B, Cody, the American cowboy. C, Blaine, the Australian surfer. Or D, David, the English football player. Jacques, Cody, Blaine, or David, who was Barbie seeing in the meantime, in between time when she was away from Ken? Okay, Parker, I'm seeing a hand raised. It's uh, Blaine, the Australian guy. Parker is saying, Blaine, Aisha, what say you? I mean, I know she knows it. So, I mean, (laughs) I guess it's Blaine. (laughs) All right. uh, Parker is right. Yes, 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 yes. It is Blaine. I'm going to have to give it to Parker, though, because she's really new immediately. (laughs) Because I remember when it happened, because I was like, who asked for this? (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Parker, you know more than me about... Barbie. <laughs> well, this is not willingly though. This is not on purpose. <laughs> the final score is Parker winning with five points and Aisha hanging in there with zero. Hanging in there. <laughs> so we're all winners today. We're all winners today. Um, but wow, thank you all so much for playing Barbie trivia with me. This was so much fun. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That was Aisha Harris from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and B.A. Parker from NPR's Code Switch. Hey, Brittany, this is Marcus from L.A. I was wondering if you saw this new NPC trend on TikTok. I came across videos of this one girl, Pinky Doll, and now I'm completely entranced by her going... (laughs) Ice cream, so good. Hi, Marcus. Thank you so much for calling in. I am not going to lie. I have also become obsessed with Pinky Doll. So for those who don't know, Pinky Doll is probably the most prominent social media influencer who specializes in playing a non-playable character or NPC. Like what you see a lot of times um, in video games. They're the background characters that either perform the same function over and over again. Or they have one line they say, they're all kind of funny. You see a lot of them, the Grand Theft Auto video games. So basically what she does is she goes live on TikTok and viewers flood her live streams. And then they send her these little tokens that they pay for. Tokens come in the form of basic emojis. They look like a dumbbell or an ice cream cone or something like that. And she has a specific response to each one. If somebody sends her two Gs, she says, gang, 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 gang. If somebody sends her an ice cream cone, she says, mm, ice cream, so good. My favorite is when people send her a dumbbell and she says, hey, yeah, strong a woman. It sounds strange. It kind of is, but it's also really soothing. There are a lot of people who in the past week or so have tried to hop on the bandwagon once they realized that According to her, she's making roughly $7,000 a day between the various social media sites that she uses to make money, such as TikTok and OnlyFans. But there's a reason why she's making $7,000 a day. She has a really well-developed character. So you and I are both on the same page. We both are loving Pinky Doll's live streams, but we're obviously not the only ones. There are thousands, millions of people who are obsessed with watching these NPCs or at the very least sued by them. I've been trying to figure out why that is. And in my opinion right now, I think that part of the reason why we're so into these NPCs is because we're maybe a little overstimulated by the rest of social media. There's just enough happening in Pinky Doll's videos 
that it feels like maybe she's like lulling you to sleep or trying to get you to relax. I think part of it also is that people like to watch a pretty woman do silly things online. I think there's a million examples of that on the internet. I think the other thing too is that to a certain extent, I think that people like the idea that they can pay for an experience and get immediate gratification. It's even faster to get a response from Pinky Doll than it is to like, I don't know, order Uber Eats or something like that. I've seen so many people over the past two weeks try to unpack exactly what Pinky Doll is doing. She was even profiled recently by the New York Times. Is it fetish content? Is it something that she's doing purely for money? Is it almost performance art? Or is it simply people trying to put a box around a pretty woman doing something kind of silly online? Honestly, I think Pinky Doll might be the only person who knows the answer to that question. Thank you so much for calling in again, Marcus. You and I are on the same page. I'm Tim Pinky Doll. And to all of you listening, I want to know what you want to talk about too. Anything from the biggest pop culture story of the week to the newest bangers to the TV show everyone is talking about. If there's something everyone in your world is going on about, record a quick voice memo with your first name, location, and the topic, and send it to ibam at npr.org. That's I-B-A-M at npr.org. I cannot wait to hear what you want to talk about. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Josh Newell. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.